Welcome to the Rethinking Supply Chain Podcast, sponsored by Venzi. Join John Abrams, your podcast host and CEO of Venzi Technologies, to learn about new and exciting trends in the movement to digitize and rethink the global supply chain. This week's guest is Clay Nicholas, founder and CEO of Vibronics. Vibronics specializes in supply chain analytics and services, providing a supply chain control tower solution. Hey, good to be back on Rethinking Supply Chain. My name's John Abrams, and we have uh, another special guest with us today. Clay, welcome to the cast. Thank you, John. Appreciate it. So I understand uh, a little bit about your company, and my fascination is with analytics intersecting with supply chain. I'll tell you why that fascinates me, is that in my short history of uh, working with supply chain, the analytics side was always so hard because the data that we all need in supply chain to analyze almost anything is siloed. And it's siloed in two ways. One is it's siloed typically in the organization. So let's say I'm a manufacturer. Within my manufacturing facility, I have all these silos of information. They tend to be very different, meaning Julie will have a silo, uh, a database under her desk on a, uh, on a computer, and then that will be different from your SAP system, that will be different than your warehouse system, that will be different than every other system. And just the silos within, just make it simple, a manufacturing facility are separate and distinct from the silos in the next link in the supply chain. So manufacturer to a distributor, you got a whole new set of problems there. And uh, I think you know, I worked for Cardinal Health for many years, so a healthcare supply chain distributor. And our focus would often be on the top quartile of inbound suppliers. And the reason that we would do that when we were dealing with 600,000 SKUs, the reason we'd only focus on a subset of suppliers was because the energy it took to uh, manage the inbound data flows across more than just the top quartile became overwhelming from a human perspective. So I used this short five-minute setup to say, oh, my God, analytics in supply chain? Where do you even start? Right. So that's a great, great setup and I think a great set of context for the conversation. So uh, as we had a brief chat, I've also done a lot of work in, in, in the healthcare space, and a lot of it was around analytics in healthcare and understand a lot of the data challenges, not only that you mentioned from a supply chain standpoint, just but from a managing a person's health standpoint with data being in an electronic health record or some mm. other system across the healthcare ecosystem or no data at all, right? Or, or, pay, or data that's in different formats, you know, on paper, uh, on charts, uh, and some of it being digital. So, you know, a lot of that experience that I've had on, on, in the healthcare side and also doing some stuff in the financial industry and other spaces, the market is bringing a lot of those capabilities to the supply chain challenge. And, and I think to the point that you're making internally within an organization, there's challenges around data being in different formats uh, or being siloed, whether it's in a system, in a database, on-premise, in the cloud, more, more moving towards the cloud, or just documents or spreadsheets, right? So, uh, and that's challenges within an organization, but as we talk about the value of analytics, there's also the value of bringing in data from those connected parts internally, whether it's sourcing, 
for your sales team and bringing in more data on the demand side, but also collaborating with ecosystem partners. So how can you bring in data from your suppliers, from your customers, from third-party sources, whether it's market data like weather data to understand weather patterns and how it's impacting demand or potentially impacting your supply of services. So that set of challenges, I think the difference over the last five to 10 years than the 10 years before that is there's a lot of new technology that you can apply to those challenges. Uh, and from an analytics standpoint, tools and techniques such as natural language processing that can take written data out of documents and turn it into digital data or you have ways to have systems that can better integrate data from these various systems internally or your, from your partners in a lot more flexible way than you potentially could in the past. But there is a lot of, still a lot of value in focusing on, you know, what the key business problems are you trying to solve with analytics and targeting your analytics strategies towards those couple of key pain points first, and then building on a strategy from there, because it is still a big task to undertake. And, uh, you know, from, from our perspective, doing it in an agile way with modern tools can help you get a good start on a very complex set of questions and challenges that you pose. So I want to first admire that in your recap there, there were probably hmm, 30 points of, I would say, data uh, sets uh, or inputs or uh, what have you. 30 maybe conservative given what I could recall from, from your comments. You, you made one comment on weather, which is interesting, fascinating, and, and uh, points to the variability or the external forces that act on a supply chain. So uh, today we're, we're at the start of a military incursion into the Ukraine, which has border control and uh, all sorts of ramifications across Europe, as Europe will naturally lock down during a period of war and so border controls and cross-border movement of goods will become challenging and in some areas impossible. And so, you, you know, weather is a, an event that we don't control and affects supply chains and, and, and all of this. Uh, military action, again, we don't control it and affects supply chains. So, so you mentioned weather, and it's just one variable out of many. And let me let me just start with the idea of supply chain visibility. And so if you take the 30 data points you reference, one of which highly variable weather, and try and look at end-to-end -end supply chain visibility, to me, and this is a concept that people have been talking about for decades, literally decades, and how, where do you start? Because there isn't truly end-to-end -end supply chain visibility regardless of the vertical. So it's healthcare, uh, you know, fun place for us, to, you and I, to play today. Uh, but it doesn't matter the vertical, automotive, healthcare, what have you. End-to-end -end supply chain right now is largely mythical because you can't deal with all the different inputs in a way that you can truly have uh, complete visibility. And, and so where, where, do you, where do people start? That's a great, great point. And, and as you bring up the, the situation that's happening in, in Ukraine, um, you know, I have a lot of personal ties to that. I'm a, I'm a West Point grad, former Army officer, spent some time in Bosnia doing, during the Balkans conflict. So, you know, keeping a close eye on what's going on over there. And the solutions, we're, we're doing a lot of work because of that experience. You know, we're doing a lot of work with the Department of Defense and 
you know, we've helped to bring some visibility to a $3 billion supply chain of theirs. But to your point where it starts, I think it starts one with one first understanding, getting a better understanding of what your end-to-end -end supply chain ecosystem looks like and who the players are and what the interfaces and roles are. And candidly, even within organizations, a lot of people don't look left and right. It's silo processes, not only silo systems, but silo processes. And so people are focused on their day-to-day -day job and not what the inputs to their process is or the output of their process to someone else in the supply chain. So that happens internally within an organization, and especially as you get outside of the organization, you know, not a lot of context around those various inputs from suppliers or output to customers and those third party kind of more market forces. So, you know, we like to start with one, understanding what does that supply chain ecosystem look like? What are the key drivers that company is providing? But what are those interfaces from a process standpoint? Because the technology is there to help support improvements around processes and improvement around your people that are managing those processes, uh, not just a technology play in itself. So, you know, I think a people process and technology approach helps to give you a good start and to identify where you can start building visibility and add some value. Yeah, and you you throw out a word like agile, and uh, so uh, people process technology um, plus agile. You, you have some real fundamental building blocks. I, I do want to call out the, uh, the military side of supply chain. The, the best people I've worked with in supply chain have had a military background. And for those listeners who don't understand the connection there, logistics and military are what determine success. And so an ability to deploy into a, a, a battle situation, the critical components, uh, we, you know, you think about food, you know, military travels on its stomach, but I was in healthcare and, and the ability to deploy a container in a forward location, know what's in that container, know when it is being decremented, know what you need to refill in a forward location. These are very, very complex challenges, and the military, unlike almost any other industry, if you will, uh, has leaned into automation and, you know, whether it's RFID or other very uh, sophisticated compute-based uh, mechanisms to understand what's going on in their logistics, their supply chain, because it is critical to success on the battlefield. Uh, so first off, uh, curious, when you are trained, like a West Point, um, how much is focused on things like uh, the tactical advantage of supply chain? It's a, it's a great question, and it's a big focus. So to kind of the point you were alluding to, you know, in the military, we think of, you know, everything, run, you know, starts with beans and bullets. Beans and bullets. <laughs> I, I've, I've got to tell you, I've not heard that before. Yep. That's what we say, you know, you got to get the beans and bullets out there. Otherwise, you can't be successful in achieving your, your, your tactical or strategic, you know, military missions. So a lot of what we're taught and trained on around, you know, at West Point, and as we learn and deploy as, as we become officers and soldiers in the military, is using our logistics as what we call a combat multiplier. So you're more effect, the more effectively you can manage your logistics and your log logistics supply chains, and this has been proven from the days of ancient warfare, Napoleon to modern warfare, uh, the better you're going to be at achieving your mission. So I uh, appreciate the, the call out there around, you know, military folks having a great appreciation for logistics because we have to, you know, and we are heavily trained in it. 
hey, thank you for your service, first off. But, but second, uh, uh, military people with the kind of rigor and discipline that you've been taught and applied in a military situation, honest to God, I've not worked with, with better logistic supply chain people than those in the military. Uh, a lot of schools, so whether it's uh, Michigan or I did a lot of work at MIT uh, around supply chain and really the applying compute to uh, eliminate human frailty in the supply chain, building resilience in. Academic institutions do a, I would say, a good job, but academic institutions often are focused on sort of the MBA-ish approach to supply chain. So uh, rather than build out resiliency in a supply chain, you're taught uh, lean principles, which have a place, but I think the military especially is more concerned about the resiliency of your chain uh, than they are necessarily the cost of the chain. And so I think you get a very, and this is, I think, why I can always tell somebody who has a military background in supply chain, because they're more concerned about building a resilient, almost redundant uh, supply chain, because they're concerned about the chain's integrity over cost, whereas an MBA-influenced supply chain person will take out all that cost, which often is resiliency and cripples you when there is instability. And, and the, the situation in Ukraine today, I think, calls out something that most of us, I don't, I don't know if you're older or younger than me, but we have been able, we've been lulled into a sense of complacency that border controls are just about getting the paperwork done. They're not about, oh my gosh, you can't cross that border today. So um, talk to me a bit, little bit about when you go into an institution and you're looking for the various uh, data points, uh, talk a little bit about where the frailty lies in institutions. Pick healthcare if you want. It's a, it's a fun area to play with uh, because I think healthcare is, of all the supply chains I've been in, I think they're the most out of step with uh, uh, modern systems, if you will. They're very human reliant and very non-resilient. Yeah. So, so I think great points. And I think as you talk about the military uh, experience there, one, I think building resiliency in a supply chain and also agility, the ability to quickly respond mm -hmm. when changes mm -hmm. happen, because changes often do happen. So you plan according to something, but nothing goes according to plan. So how do you, uh, how are you able to uh, adapt to that? And what we say adapt, improvise and overcome quickly. So, um, but even within the Department of Defense being thoughtful about those types of strategic approaches and how to manage the supply chain, it even still operates in kind of silo ways with silo systems and data and different systems in different formats. And so that's, in, and in the commercial side, very similar set of challenges. And I think where the, the crux of a lot of the problem or challenge or opportunity is, whether you're talking about Department of Defense supply chains or a healthcare supply chain or automotive or other, it's being able to understand where the data is, what type of data it is, what format or what is the quality of that data, being able to bring the data together in a standardized way to have an analytics platform to understand how your supply chain operates. And, and understanding how the supply chain operates all the way from being able to do more modern, as we think about analytics, predictive demand planning, cognitive sourcing on the back end, tying those things together. And I think that is the kind of utopia that we're trying to get to in that end-to-end -end visibility. 
but the long-term vision of that is still hampered by the availability and quality of the data and understanding where that data is, how to access it, do you have enough of it from an analytics standpoint? And that's one of the main challenges that we're seeing with supply chain digital transformation and analytics strategies is the quality of the data and the volume of the data that can be used to do analytics because of the various silos that we're talking about in data format. So an approach that we've taken to that, that, you know, where, and as I think about supply chain, there are some best practices that have been done in healthcare. So a lot of the work that I've done in healthcare, and it's been similar work has been done in the financial industry is using synthetic data to do things because patient health information is very sensitive. Financial information is very sensitive. The data that we're working with in the Department of Defense is often sensitive data, and there's reluctance to combine silo data because even though data in one system isn't sensitive, you start combining it with other data, it makes it sensitive. It can help show trends around where troop movements are or where battlefield kind of where battlefield positions are getting to get, beginning to get stood up. So we've been able to use uh, processes to generate synthetic data. So doesn't use it uses small samples of real data or even just data formats so that you can get a start on modeling your end-to-end -end supply chain ecosystem and start building out some initial um, hypothesis around your analytics strategy. And then as you get comfortable and want, and this is part of the agile approach, as you identify where some of the priority high value use cases are, then you bring in the broader volumes of data. You start building in more of the data that you need to do the more robust and testing of the analytics algorithms. But you know, to your question, I think regardless of industry, a key challenge and pain point we're seeing is the availability of data, the volume of data, the quality of it, and, and being able to get your arms around that and having a solid foundation for uh, analytics is, is a key first step. I want to put out a sort of a, a key question that let's spend a couple of minutes on. How much of the data quality or the siloed nature is because we are at our core humans and we are protecting our individual data sets? So when you talk about the silos, that didn't happen by chance. That happened because this department has a different database, made a different set of decisions than this other department, and then combining those data sets, and, and you're, you're quite right. Oftentimes, people don't understand that when you combine these two different data sets, there's an output now that oftentimes people didn't understand uh, could be created. And, and the impacts of that nobody really knows often in within an organization so so simple question how much of this is the result of you know we're human and it, we're not we're not robots and there's going to be this shift i believe between the human nature of supply chain today versus the digital nature of supply chain tomorrow yeah great question you know i think part of it is very much uh, what you're describing kind of human nature and not only in the protection of data, but um, you know, as we think about supply chain transformation, you know, it requires rethinking processes and rethinking how the supply chain operates. And oftentimes people get protective because they think you know, automation is gonna come in and take over their job. So there, there's a lot of protectionism when you start thinking about how to do things in a different way. But I do think that there's also, there are also some just structural and, and just market forces that have driven a lot of this silo data, which you know, a lot of growth in companies over the past 20 years has been through merger and acquisition. So uh, you have a business that's made up of different business units manufacturing the same thing, but uh, different processes, different capabilities from different organizations, which 
that have been built on different systems, or you have uh, you know contract manufacturers. So you have some data uh, uh, that you're doing internal around parts you might be manufacturing internally, data in, uh, from other contract manufacturers that might be assembly components of something that you're manufacturing, and a lot of different pieces that are trying to be brought together especially as you think about large manufacturers that are global in nature. So I think a lot of it is structural that's been driven by the way organizations have, organizations have grown, the way they've become more mature and evolved from a growth standpoint, but you then also get into the inner, internal challenges around the people challenges and the protectionism that you mentioned. So, so after all that, though, and it, we're, we've run out of time in this episode, but simple yes, no. Do you have hope that this is resolvable? Yes. With oh, me. I don't like that. I don't <laughs> like that delay. What I was, what I was really thinking, you were going to be like, oh, heck yes, man. And you, that delay, that uh, we're going to have to unpack that, man, because I know that you're hopeful. What we're going to get into in the next episode is why you're hopeful, because that delay was just a little too long to make me comfortable. Yep, understood. Hey, really enjoyed the session. Uh, uh, come back uh, for for another one with us. And uh, really, your depth of knowledge, expertise, and service, uh, you know, couldn't combine to give me more hope that there are folks out there that are fixing supply chain and making it more resilient. So thank you very much, and we'll talk again soon. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Rethinking Supply Chain, sponsored by Venzi. To stay up to date with our latest releases, subscribe to the podcast and follow us on LinkedIn. You can also learn more at RethinkingSupplyChain.com. Thanks for listening.